0: Well, so here's my special guest in my newest family member edition, uh, Shanina. Um, welcome to the show and tell your story, be yourself.
1: <laughs> All right, now. Hello, everyone. I'm so excited. My new brother has invited me on to his podcast. He did my podcast a couple of weeks ago, and uh, we were talking about our educational experiences um again i am shanina i'm excited to tell you a little bit about me i come from a single parent home my mother um a family of three um she struggled a lot worked a lot of jobs to kind of get where we're at but she always pushed education and she really pushed us to work hard i currently right now work as a dean of students um in a charter school And my goal has always been to work with teachers and staff. So I own my own consultant business called Bill Reach Teach that allow me to work closely with students and staff to make sure that the student need is getting met and that the teacher is being supported. Um, I'm excited because even though in the middle of this pandemic, there are kids learning and people are doing the work. Um, I'm in ministry. My husband is a pastor. Uh, Freedom Fellowship Church is our... uh, is, is, is our church home, okay? And it's a very small church home from out of Michigan. Um, and I grew up actually in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I moved here to Detroit, Michigan, probably about 15 years ago. Um, my story really comes back to volunteering and, and, and getting involved in a community. So I'm an a, alumni of AmeriCorps. I came here to Detroit because I did the AmeriCorps program which is a federal uh, volunteer program where you go in and you help in the communities. And so I moved here 15 years ago in Detroit, Michigan as a residential counselor where I heard, helped young people in a group home, help meet their academic, social, emotional needs. Um, and now I'm into the school system. So I love God. I love people. I love seeing people grow. I love to get engaged in my community. And I definitely believe that And all that we may go through, there is a purpose in our walk. So that's a little bit about me. Um, And I always believe that when people come together, um, great things can happen. So thank you for having me on. I'm looking forward to the discussion.
0: You're very welcome. I've just been speechless just hearing your mesmerizing testimony. So what facilitated the urge for education and the value of it to you and to others
1: well for me you know and i think on our last podcast you and i talked about our experience particularly brown and um, black babies don't always get the same opportunities there's a huge um, inequities that go on in our communities and so even if we grew up um, my, my experience is that i actually grew up in suburban schools i was like the only white black kid in most white classrooms And so that experience was hard for me because early on I was labeled a special ed. I had ADHD. I was singled Mm. out and, um, you know, they had those self-contained special ed classrooms. Um, And really, I think I just learned and think I was thinking differently. um, And because I had some struggles and they didn't know how to deal with that. I mean, I wasn't a kid that act out. There's a lot of kids that do act out you right. know, because they don't get it. So, mm-hmm. they, you know, a lot of times the teachers feel like they're being disrespectful, but really mm. a lot of times they're disconnected from the learning environment. And so one of the things I pushed me into education was that I wanted to help young people that were going through this system overcome the system. And oh, I really wow. wanted to help support teachers to connect first. You got to connect with students, right? You can't just come in and say, Oh, I'm gonna teach them. No, you gotta connect with them. Then once you build that rapport with those students and understand where they're coming from, then only can you teach them. And so it's a real backwards thinking that, oh, I need to teach you and you need to respect my classroom. The young people that we work with are very smart, but a lot of times you know, there's a disconnect between the learning environment. And so for me, that's why I wanted to get involved with education, because I wanted to try to make a difference in that from my own personal experience.
0: Wow, that feeling like being the only black person in, like you said, this whole mm-hmm. school. Predominantly
1: white schools, yeah. Because we, my mother, you know, grew up in Chicago, Illinois, you know, really def- difficult background. She's a family of six, they struggled. So when she decided to move out of Chicago, she moved to a suburb called Minneapolis, um, a suburb in Minnesota called Brooklyn Park. And it was mostly, you know, predominantly white. And mm. so, you know, I came there as a kid. That's all I knew was being in those suburban suburban white schools as it relates to, yeah, they had all the resources. They definitely had all the, um, the finances to kind of make sure the school was taken care of. But the social emotional part, and they didn't know how to work with black children a lot of times, some of them.
0: Wow. That's what
1: affect me the most and the impact. Um, So when I got to uh, middle school, I told my mom, I don't want to go to suburban schools. I really want to go to city schools, like where it's more diverse. So as I spoke up more, I end up being able to transfer to a more diverse middle school and high school experience where it was more than one culture. Um, It was a little different as it relates to, you know, the finances as relates. I could tell the difference between those big top suburban school versus me going to a city school. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people trying to leave city schools because they say that they they don't have the resources and there's a lot of issues there, which there is. But I was trying to get to a city school to free myself because of the, the majority of being in a white culture school. It didn't it didn't help me as it relates to me learning and growing into the person that I wanted to be. I didn't have any role models around me. There was a disconnect with me communicating and reaching out. And I just felt isolated, honestly, a lot of times.
0: Ah, so your cultural needs weren't unmet mm-hmm. quite frequently. Yeah. And you wanted to have a sprinkle of each instead of always feeling like you're the defender of your race and a defender of being a woman and defender of Black womanhood. Understood?
1: Listen, I know, like, triple threat. Black, a woman and trying to get it together in this society so it's just it's it's so overwhelming it's like you know as african-american people men and women have their own struggles the fact that race is an issue and then economically i didn't have a lot of money you know my mom you know worked every day really really hard to get her three children where she could um so all those factors played you know, they say America is a land of free. They say America is a land of promise and opportunity. They say America is an opportunity for you to grow and be able to become your own individual. But for me, and I don't know about your experience, I've had to fight for every experience.
0: Wow. I've had to fight
1: for every Ooh. moment in my life. As a woman, mm-hmm. as an African-American woman, is for my socioeconomic status, even for my own Christianity, mm-hmm. you know, because everything is being attacked. You know, um, and so even though this is a land of free of opportunity, and I put that in quotes, there's certain people and this is just reality. There's certain people, there's certain groups that get more opportunities. And if you're not willing to fight for it, like stay up all night, speak up for yourself, stand up when you know you need to stand up, not have friends sometimes, be alone, mm-hmm. be isolated. You know what I mean? I know you know what I'm talking about. Like yeah. if you don't fight for your rights, if you don't fight for what you believe in, right. then a lot of people get lost. And then that's that's when people, um, it's not that people don't want to do stuff for themselves, it's just the system itself sometimes is so exhausting to fight yeah. that they give up. Mm. You know, and if you don't have people like you and I, we have family members that fought on our behalf. Like our parents yeah. wasn't having it, they would come into school. But a lot of kids don't have those kind of parents. So then it's right. like, well, what, who advocates? Who fights for them?
0: Mm. Yeah, like I have an uncle, Willie, who had to sue D.C. Public Schools for being wrongfully terminated. This is Michelle mm. mm-hmm. when She was in charge and he had to fight for that lawsuit for years. It, I think eventually had to Just settle with them Mm -hmm. because it was too financially taxing for him.
1: Right. But that's sad that he had to fight with a school district to do what was right. Like, I just, it just really, it's really sad that we have to go through these different levels of um, fights in order to to be able to belong. Like, people should be who they are and we should be who we want to be as relates to whatever we want for our lives. We shouldn't have to prove ourselves. That's the word. Prove yourself that you're good enough. And I think that's what it is. Mm. You know, am I good enough to fit in this particular society to fit in this American way? Do I talk right? Do I look right? Do I have the certain trends? Do I have the right friends? Do, do I have the right career? Do I have my hair the right way? Do, mm-hmm. Is my skin color the right skin color? Do I hang out with the right people? It's always like these boxes. And if you don't check off the right boxes, um, then for me, it's always like you don't belong. So for me, you have to be able to take what people are giving you. Um, mm. And you know how it is with family and friends and stuff. They try to put all their junk on you. Mm-hmm. And society mm-hmm. like that, too. They try to like dump all this stuff on you. And I, one of the things I am passionate about is teaching students and staff how to work through that. Okay, like you cannot continue to take everybody else's stuff on and think that you're going to be a well-rounded person with a good mental health. It doesn't work that way. You have to learn how to separate their issues from your issues and you have to learn how to navigate and work through your issues. You only can control yourself, you know, right? right? So you can't control the other factors. And so I'm really excited because one of the things that's happening as I'm speaking to you next year, I'm going to be with another leader. Um, I've been promoted to be a school leader at a middle school, which means I will be a principal. I'm so excited. You know, I've been working on it for about a year. I'm in my classes still. I'm in my full intern hour. So I'll be going in as an intern working with another full principal. Um, And I'll be excited to inspire a whole group of middle school kids, you know, to be able to work through some of these things. Middle school, it was terrible for me. I don't know what, how middle school was for you, but it's such a terrible time because um, you know, it's like all that development, the hormones, got to socially fit in, identity issues. And so one of the things that I'm pushing for that particular program is vision, a visionary day, right? Where kids and parents and staff can come together depending on like, will it be virtual or if we'll be you know spread out in the gym, really spread out because they will have some impersonal learning. But it's all about that visionary day born to lead, you know, until people understand that they have to lead their own lives, that you're born to do this. Mm -hmm. People just are going to just recycle some of the same unhealed issues. And it's really hard to watch. Like you and I know we know people personally that are going through like trauma and they refuse to heal it. And then they want to talk to you about it. It's like, please heal your stuff before you come over here talking to me because I got my own issues.
0: Thank you. Oh, those spiritual freeloaders—they are.
1: <laughs> <laughs> call them what they are. Thank you. you. Better call them what they are. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Pushness. Like, heal your stuff. Don't come over here freeloading on my emotional strength. You need to. We need to work through this. Now I can work with you together, but you can't put all your stuff on me and then get mad that I won't.
0: Heal it for you. Right you. <laughs> that's not my responsibility.
1: Yep, that's not my responsibility. And so, how do you hold people accountable, you know, for their stuff? Yeah. And be help them be okay with whatever they're working through. And so, in order for you to help people work through their stuff, you have to inspire them to want to change. You can say and you can diffuse it by saying, I know you're struggling, but I know you can handle it, right? You can motivate them and say, yeah, times are hard right now, but think of all the grateful moments you have, right? You can spin it Mm -hmm. Uh, because sometimes when people bring all their stuff to you, they just bring it to you just to like, have a, um, like a pity party session. And you and I know that doesn't go anywhere. Like some of your struggles and some of my struggles One of the greatest things about struggling is that if you didn't have a problem, you wouldn't know how to grow, right? So how do you grow out of something if you don't have anything to work with? You have a problem, that's a good thing. So now you have to learn how to inspire yourself to grow out of that. And that's a real passion of mine in education and just in working in everyday life and even in ministry that you can't expect everybody to take care of your issues. You have to take responsibility for your actions.
0: And I am very elated that you say that because there are some people that I'm related to that are very much into allowing themselves to being doormatic. And when try to tell them um, it's unhealthy for you to allow yourself to be doormatic, they their Stockholm syndrome symptoms kick in. They'll defend being mm-hmm. dormant. Like, but what about reasonable self protection? No, no, no. I, I want to hear. And they just tune out, like, okay. So you want your own rights to be trampled on. You're trampling on your own rights. And then you get defensive when that you're nope. being notified of it. What you said heck? notified,
1: yes. <laughs> I know I'm trying to help you out, and then you mad at me for trying to help you out. So, <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like this is a big, terrible cycle of no, we're not getting anywhere. And I think people allow themselves to be doormatted. I think people allow themselves to be taken advantage of mm-hmm. because sometimes you and I know we see it
0: mm-hmm.
1: that they, you know, internally don't feel worthy, you mm-hmm. know, of. they don't feel worthy of what, what could be for their life. So it's like, I will just sit and settle with what I got, even though some days it don't feel right. I know it's not right. I'm just going to sit with it because you and I know, and this is like a whole nother podcast, but people are addicted to their pain sometimes. And sometimes oh, yes. that like crisis stuff is normal. Like to be in crisis is so normal. I have relatives like that too. And it's like, you say you want out, you say you want to heal, you complain about the same old things but yet you're not doing anything to change it.
0: Right, they're self-traumatizers.
1: Yes, and at some point it totally, it starts out that I'm sure something happened to them in their experience and you had, you shared about your experience. But once you have those traumatized experience, whether you were um, abused or emotionally, physically, sexually, whatever it was, there's a time where you seek for help. You go through whatever you have to go through. You get help and then you apply the healing process. Some people will seek help, but they will not apply the healing process, which is a long-term battle. Every day, you don't know what will trigger that. Anything can contribute your trauma, you know, anything, Mm -hmm. but you have to constantly work at it. So some people, it's like the battle of the mind. They allow Mm -hmm. their minds to just take over and they get into a, um, a situation where they just keep recycling, like you said, the self-trauma. And it's like, that happened 20 years ago. And I, I I'm totally empathetic to that. Right. However, you're putting your trauma on other people. And I, I have a sister that does that all the time. And I'm looking at her like, I was in the same household you were. I get it. But at the same time, this was 20 years ago. You a grown adult. Um Heal the inner you,
0: child.
1: Yeah, like you, your inner child won't let it go. So what are you gonna do to move forward? And it's for me, it's excuses. And I, I have to be sensitive and empathetic. I try my best. But it was. how do you know somebody's really having trauma versus them acting out their trauma?
0: The pick this self-pity
1: partying. Yeah. Like, how do you know the difference? Are you doing this for attention or mm-hmm. are you actually in a meltdown mode? Like, it's hard to distinguish sometimes. That's and I good. know, you know, you don't want to be insensitive to people's needs, but... One of the things I always recognize is that most people are much stronger than what they believe they can be. Yes. Most people are. It's like, oh, I can't do this. You didn't even try. Mm. Oh, I don't, I don't, I don't think I could do that because of this, this, and this, and that. You don't even know if that's gonna happen. You're coming up with 50 excuses and you haven't even picked up the phone, haven't picked up the you know, tried the first step, and Ooh. you're already saying no in your mind. So then Do you really want to do it? or you just scared or, you know, those kind of things. Even with me working with kids, I try to help them understand life is scary. Life is completely unfair. And life will give you something to think about. Every day, your mind will have you like in circles thinking about life. But yet in all of that, you still in control of your own life. You know, you still can make your own decisions. Like, you don't have to have everything, like you said, doormatted and everybody stepping all over you and you allowing other people to take your freedom and your choices away from you. Use your own mind. Lead your own life.
0: Right, like, I know as a survivor, I came to that conc- these, um, hard, these hard mm-hmm. conclusions. Actually, in college, that's when I... As you know, I was I was constantly in therapy, I was constantly doing a lot of psychological work because I have and to be respectful, my parents the truth. I saw a lot of they took too long to get out of toxic relationships. Yeah. With family and outside the family, like in my family, we have history of allegations, whether right. they're true or unverified. And like a lot of Black families, and I have to say it, yeah. they still will defend it by not instituting any boundaries. For example, you're, someone tells me an allegation, I tell them, nothing happens. No boundaries, no hey, you can't come around or hey, they so, just like ignore
1: it like you didn't say it at all.
0: Yeah, and a family member of mine, um, I don't consider that person family, but my mom does. They just died, and that same person made allegation still could come to the house.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I just said, I'm so I'm glad that I learned that I don't have to to indoctrinate myself with toxicity
1: wow yes
0: why i'm happy to have this housing program i am in so i can mm. fully control as best to my ability to surroundings and people
1: yeah yeah that's so powerful that you said that because Uh, The people that we surround ourselves with does influence. And so what I've learned, even with, you know, my own internal struggles, uh, thank God I've never experienced significant, you know, sexual abuse or any physical abuse, but I definitely experienced a lot of emotional abuse. Mm. Um, And I think people don't always see that as abuse. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether you're not playing you know you're not really tuning in on your children emotions you are ignoring your children for periods of the time you're leaving for periods of the time you put all the re- i felt like my mom had always put all the responsibility of me on, on the oldest child i pretty much helped raise at nine years old my brother and my sister
0: wow. and this happens, this
1: happens all the time in african-american families i would say probably a lot of families not just african-american but I didn't have a childhood because I was raising. And even to this day, when there's something terrible, guess who they call me instead of calling their own mama. But it's one of those things where it's extremely um, difficult because, you know, they say, oh, I'm so sorry that happened to you. Da 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 da. Right. But then it's like they feel so sorry for the people that caused the harm that they won't check them um and it's like well why are you protecting them you know why are you protecting them and a lot of times they protect them my, my mom had uncles that would come rob her house that would take advantage of her that wow. all kinds of stuff you know what i mean like just foolishness just complete foolishness right um and because she grew up with them and she experienced their trauma
0: oh my so bad
1: for of them i think she had she was very empathetic to them um to the point where she never really dealt with it.
0: I wow. think now as, as an
1: adult she does dealt with it and they have their own relationship. But when we was kids we couldn't understand like they drug addicts. They steal. They do this. They do this. Why is this involved? You know what I mean? Like why? Why they over here? Why? Why? Why Why they in the house? And, I'm
0: confused. <laughs> and that was the same point like my this person who's my mom's like a sister my mom This same person made an allegation about another person my mom's related to, but they're at the same wedding together. Thirteen years before she made the allegation, and it was emotionally dumping. That's why I didn't I don't wear around, and I don't get the whole if someone is bad for your life, they can they. They might as well be bad for your kids' life. I don't get this whole like-me, like-me, um, niceness, obsession, this severe past progression. I don't get it. Someone's unhealthy. Yeah. You don't need their acceptance. You have billions of people in the world. What are you tripping off them for?
1: Yeah. It's, it's sad. And I... You know, it's, it's really hard to, like, unravel some of the trauma. And I only... I only say, you know, in African-American families, trauma is hit harder because we have a lot of unresolved issues. And it mm-hmm. goes way back to uh, slavery. It goes back into, you know, everything of our history. We we have a sense of, like, levels of anger, levels of violence, le- levels of abuse. Um, like, whooping our kids. Like, you know, white people don't whoop their kids. They put them in timeout. I mean, they some of them do. I'm not going to say mm-hmm. all of them Um, yes we like will whoop the mess out of our kids i'll be on the phone with these parents like you cussing this child out and whooping them is not going to change the behavior like whooping and laying hands on kids but you know that was like that's mind driven in the mind like that's what they say right when the slaves didn't act right they would whoop them to death so like we have some of these old traditional terrible right you know rituals that don't make sense but because we did in the history and then we wonder why kids grow up and they mad and, and want to hit like I have a lot of physical hitting in class a lot of times with some of the kids and the teacher's like oh my god I'm like this is learned behavior I need y'all to understand that if a two-year-old learns how to start hitting and nobody stops that they're going to grow up when they're seven or eight nine ten and they're okay. going to hit and fight this is learned behavior, like Y'all need to understand this is not something a, a, a kid wake up and say, I'm going to be an abuser and hit somebody. No, somebody put that in their mind. Somebody taught them how to do that. Now I'm, I'm not saying that all African-American people are abusive. That's not what I'm saying, but I'm saying that there's, there's, there's things that we do right. where we can simply just talk to somebody, get an understanding Right.
0: Um, mm-hmm.
1: right. And before you start physically attacking is not necessary.
0: Right. And I thank you for going there because very few people from your generation will admit this. Most of them will go, Shanina, how dare you? Yeah. And I'm anti-corporal punishment. I've done the research, the levels of aggression and the love and the mentality of every time you fail or commit an error, life will be violent to you physically which is not true But I I never understood the whole you had I can't imagine putting my hands on a person I took the time to procreate and make Mm. and I had an experience that really drove that home I did child evangelism fellowship that was the summer missionary program i was doing going to daycare centers and spreading the gospel so one kid was acting up and out of learned behavior from trauma i just yanked him up and then i recognized what happened like oh my god this happened to me when i was a child and i saw the kid's face and i said i will never put my hand on a kid again and i never have since i just it it was traumatizing
1: hmm. and kept
0: apologizing to the kid because growing up, adults didn't apologize to kids. It was always- No,
1: and they still don't really. It's like, well, I'm the adult and that's what it is. And so we have a society that we're raising kids and re-recycling like the same habits. So you know, I, I agree with you. Like you want somebody to like behave. You want, and I teach this as a behavior specialist. You want the child to behave. The child is acting out. There's a reason why the child is acting out. If you meet the need of the child, which is simply asking a couple questions, you won't need to put your, you won't physically have to put your hand on the child. The reason why kids act out is because there's a disconnect to either what they need or what you want them to do. And Mm -hmm. there's only three reasons why kids act out. Either they don't know what to do, like they don't understand it. They say they do, but they kind of really don't understand it. Mm -hmm. They don't know how to do it. So what and how is two different things. Like they may not understand what you're saying to them, literally, Mm -hmm. and how. They don't know the pathway of like from A to B. Like they really haven't, nobody hasn't trained them how to do certain things. And then the last thing is because, you know, the whole idea of they, just like adults, they want to know the why. Kids want to know why they got to do certain things. And so when you don't explain yourself, when you don't understand and explain the what wins and why's. You're going to get a kid, especially those teenagers and those early uh, middle school kids. You're going to get that, like, nasty attitude, talking back. It's not right. I'm not excusing that.
0: Right, right. But what
1: I'm saying is, is that instead of you attacking it verbally or physically putting your hands on somebody, you will need to step back and check yourself and say, take a deep breath and say, why is this bothering me so much? And I always tell staff, like even with the young man you were talking about the reason you have to understand your triggers, right? What, what do you not like about people? What triggers you to makes you so upset? Like for me, I don't like people that lie and I definitely don't like people that steal. Don't steal, don't lie to me. Cause you're going to trigger me. And that's because that was a part of my childhood. People always took stuff and I don't like people that lie. Just be honest, you know? So if a child lies or takes something from me, I'm going to show, I'm going to, it's going to be triggered and I'm going to show anger and frustration so know your triggers before you address it so you can take a deep breath and then you can ask the child a simple question. What's wrong with you today? Mm. You okay? Why are you, you know, it seems like you're off. Like you're not following directions. You're not listening. I'm disappointed. Right. What you know, What what's going on with you today? Uh-huh. Don't assume that they just trying to be a, now some kids kind of, you know, want to get irritated on people's nerves. Uh, most kids just want to understand.
0: Right. And I've learned that in our community, we don't always embrace intellectual curiosity. We think that's just a sign of doubtfulness. You just want to be skeptical, just be skeptical. And then when you talk about putting hands on kids, do you know that people with children with disabilities and Black children are experience school corporal punishment more than the white yep.
1: kids? Absolutely. And that was one of the biggest reasons why I came a dean of students, um, when I came to my school that I'm currently at, they were suspending easily 300 kids, 400 kids a year. And I'm talking about kindergartners, five-year-olds, all the way up to high school. And it, and I really, at that point, I was losing my mind. I'm like, this is corporate punishment. This is a pipeline to prison. Mm-hmm. This is, it's totally unacceptable for, I'm gonna just tell you, it was normal childhood development behavior. Anybody that studied childhood behavior at each level as a kid grow, there's something psychologically that is between hormones and their brain is changing that they react differently. So, of course, a two year old is not going to react the same way as a nine year old and a nine year old is not going to have the same goals and aspiration as a tw- 13 or 14 year old. But we as as we as adults, sometimes we have two expectations. Sit down and be quiet. And you better respect me. We don't have this mutual working relationship that you're talking about. Like you talked about that intellect conversational piece. Like it's, it's, no, you be quiet. I'm the teacher. Whatever I pour into you, that's what you get. Kids don't work like that no more. Honestly, I don't think it worked with us either, but they probably got away with it with us. But these kids now, it really don't work with them. They like to talk back, tell you where to go. And they got google.com. If they really want to learn something, they'll just Google it. They don't always understand the need. And so we as a community, we need to do better. We have to do a better job of communicating and talking. This is why, like, becoming the dean, I push social emotional learning.
0: Mm. You know,
1: like, you have to have restorative circles. Talk Mm -hmm. to the kids. Mm -hmm. You have to have character education. Talk to them about what respect means. Talk to them about what fairness means. Have discussions and talk to them. And I have certain teachers just think it's a waste of time. And it really irritates me, quite honestly, that they think restorative circles and social emotional learning is a waste of time. Wow. Because they feel like I'm here to teach. I can't do all that. But let me tell you, those teachers that really push against it, they're the ones that need the most social emotional support. Yeah. it can be the adults a lot of time that need more support than the kids, unfortunately.
0: Right. That's a self-indictment to Rail against what you're most, most have a necessity for. I like what you said um, when it comes to just how to treat children. And I notice in our community, we think hierarchy means automatic respect. There's a hierarchy and respect. I respect you because of you, not because. Well, I was born in 1950, you were born in <laughs> 99, so you better come correct. And I noticed something weird in our community. I, it, I don't know if I have your family, my family's weird. They had this profanity entitlement theory. I, I will never understand. Well, I pay the bills so I can just let it fly, but you yeah. pay nothing so you can't. Did that happen to you? Or is it just matter? Yeah, fault? and you know what?
1: I, it it does. Is you know you do what I say, not what I do, and it's um, you know it, that's such a learned behavior. Um, it's such a traditional pass down. I'm the mother. I'm the father. I brought you in this world. I take you out this world. I mean, we got so many sayings we could come up with. It it, it part of it is again. It's like a traditional mindset, and until you really understand the child. And that's why I try to tell people, anything that's going on with the child, it is learned behavior. They got that from somewhere. And so when they start to act out, the first thing you do is need to call the parent. Once you sit down and talk with the parent, you're like, oh, I understand why this child is acting out. Because a lot of times it's the home life. Mm-hmm. And so when the home life, when people and our parents are saying different things like that, it sends mixed messages, number one, because none of that really makes sense. Right. Number two, you silence a child to be able to communicate their voice. Mm-hmm. Um, you, and I have to be careful. I'm a parent of one. My daughter' name is Marlena. She's 12 and she's in middle school. And I've said stuff like that. And I'm like, oh, I got to catch myself and move back. Um, how is that student, how is these, these young people going to be able to critically think and express themselves, right? Voice their opinion, stand up for themselves, if we don't teach them how to think. Like we don't teach our kids how to think. What we teach is what we want them to learn. Drill,
0: right? drill. Mm-hmm.
1: We do drill, kill, drill, kill. That's all that testing and assessing. But if I asked a student, you know, if you could change the world and what would things that you would put in place to change the world to make a better place, mm-hmm. they get stumped every time. And right. it's like when we get a when they go out in the real world, that's what people care about. They care about how they think, how they operate, yeah. how they can lead, how they communicate and collaborate, work in teams. Can you, you know, organize stuff? Yeah, they need to know the basic of how to read and write. But if you, unless you like simulate their mind intellectually so that they can actually be able to express themselves, a lot of our kids lose out on opportunities because they literally don't know how to voice. Like they don't have the 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 skill capacity because their parents. I'll shut them down all the time you know they'll say well why is it like this and it's like because i said so it's like okay <laughs>
0: so i've heard of that those things you said and the whole it hurts you more than it hurts you i'm like but none of that really
1: i tell was- you it's just craziness <laughs> it's right just like- and how like, how are you beating at me and yelling at me? Hurts me more than it hurts you. I'm the one experiencing it, sir or ma'am. This ain't this don't even right. make sense right now. <laughs>
0: and you know what was hard? I would hear these messages being forced in church. Like on mm-hmm. Sunday morning, I'm I would pray to God that the preacher would talk about childhood abuse. Like mm-hmm. what happened. Yeah, we
1: we kids. those subjects in church, we don't really Anything that has real life, we real tiptoe on those issues. Um, anything like abuse or anything that has to do with um, controversial topics, gayness, homosexuality, death, sinning, is you know it's something that the particularly the black church don't like to touch, um, and it's hmm. unfortunate because we miss an opportunity to really engage, number one, because it's about engagement. And number two, to really have conversations about what, what not what the church say, what God, what the word says. And what, you know, these interpretations, depending on what person, the scriptures, t- interpretations. But when you read the word for yourself and you're in relationship, then you will, it will come to, come to pass for you to understand it for yourself. You and I probably don't read the Bible the same way. A passage that I will read may be different for you depending on your experience. And one of the things that we as a church have to work on, you can give the message of what God is telling you. That is powerful. You should as the minister, as Mm -hmm. the pastor. But at the end of the day, the person that's sitting on the other side that's in the pew, they have to make the connection for it to apply to their life. And sometimes we do that same thing drill down this is what the words say this is what you need to do and in some cases some people may need to do that but in other people's personal experience God connects and send people to help them and work through those things you know so it's like a lot of times people don't come to church a lot of times people don't want to be involved in ministry like that it's because mm-hmm. it's like there's a lot of shame and guilt connected to it um and I you know I really appreciate my husband and the pastor because he just read the word for what it is there's no like imposed values on you, if you know what I mean. Like, if you don't do this, this is what's going to happen to you. You should not be preaching the word like that. Because at the end of the day, you can't tell nobody exactly what's going to happen to them because you're not God. <laughs>
0: so, right. It's
1: like right. you can give general statements and thoughts and you definitely can use the word to capitalize on the point. Jesus says all. OK, what does that mean? You can work through that. But Jesus can save anybody from anything, from any sins. So, therefore, like to that's a whole nother series podcast about even church church members, <laughs> the ministry, really don't in, indulge in some of those discussions because that means that they feel like they have to put their personal opinion in it, and then it's so controversial because then they also have to like call out certain people in the community, and we don't like telling our business. I'm just gonna be right, honest.
0: With you. Right. Right. The way I perceive God is very unique because I'm black, autistic, and a victim of child abuse. So I read passages that make a lot of people in church get upset with me. And I'm like, I'm not trying to offend anybody, but I have the kind of experiences most people don't have. So my relationship with God will be the kind of one where most people, even in the body, would go, huh? Why do you and God what? Right. And and I would pray to God that as a kid that hopefully he put on the preacher's heart to talk about these things because when I was in church it was traumatizing to see people reinforce, got a whoop and, you know, spanky kids and this adult supremacy look, but I just a few years ago that was What happened to me? I'm I'm trying to... This this church must be my safe place. Yeah. Right. It's supposed to be, yeah. And it felt like I have to deal with this on a weekend.
1: (laughs) You're like, listen, I can't go nowhere. Not my house, not the corner store. Now I can't even go to the church. I know it's because people in the church as well as in the world is broken. And so when you think about the church, it's a big old hospital, Right with people that have all kinds of different diagnoses and they're going through their own trauma, seeking a cure to be treated. The problem is sometimes politics of the church gets in the way from really sincerely helping people where they're at, Mm. you know? And it's, so it's like, I'm gonna be honest with you, just straight up with the church, even with my husband being in ministry and I'm in ministry Church leaders are equipped to read the Bible, to, you know, allow God to use them to say a message, but we're not equipped to be able to socially, emotionally counsel and guide people through those issues. So because we don't have always the skill and training and it takes mm-hmm. training, I'm just going to be honest with you. When people going through stuff, you just can't randomly say, oh, what, well, that's not right. Or that was a long time ago. That's what your mama can do. Get over it. You can't say stuff like that, but in their mind, they're not even thinking it because they're not sensitively trained to deal with social emotional issues in the church. And until we deal with getting people trained, like literally go to school for it, come in and work in ministry, mm-hmm. you know, people are always going to have those blanket statements, like you said. And then it, what happens is, is that it pushes people outside the church. They don't want to go to church because they feel like their stories are not being understood. It's like, it's the same old message. Just get better. You'll do better. Trust in God. Don't get me wrong. All that stuff is true. But if I was raped the night before and I came to church on Sunday and you telling me to believe and trust in God and we're here to pray for you, the prayer is going to be great. Thank you for the prayer. I'm here in church. I thank you for the word. But what's next? I'm still going home with my trauma because I don't know how to process that. That's why I never understood why churches don't have full-time therapists and social workers there. That's why I never understood why churches, all churches don't have outreach programs to help with drug treatment and you know, help with some of these programs with kids that are having reading literacy issues. Some churches do, but the majority of churches open on Sunday, close on Sunday, deal with the message, have some community service projects maybe throughout the week, get their donations, you know, pay their bills at their church, And that's it, they operate as a business a lot of times. And we're not really, and this is not an indictment on the church, we just have to think differently. We have to meet the social emotional needs of people by actually hiring trained people to work with those people. Um, We need a, you know, we really need a, a, a push towards meeting the ministry at a different level. And I just pray that people will be innovative and that they will think outside you know, because you think about Jesus and what he did. He was walking around, talking to people about all kinds of stuff. Not in the church building, on the streets, in the, te- uh, in the temples. And these people had blind issues, prostitution issues. Don't let me. And he met them where they at. He was like, yeah, I understand that you're doing that. Yep. Yeah, uh-huh. He listened. But then he gave them a roadmap of how to move forward. He just didn't leave them there high and dry. And so we got to do a better job. We, we, we you know, it's not an indictment on black churches. I don't want anybody to say, oh, you anti-black church. My husband's a pastor and he's black. But we as a <laughs> ministry have to do a better job of meeting people's social and emotional needs at the church.
0: Well, like I would feel, I, I I had this sense of when I was in church of do people like me for me or because of the, the disability that society says I have? Like, I you know people with disabilities, a lot of us feel, feel do we, but we know we, we, know we belong in church, but we're not meant to feel like we're treated that way because we don't hear it from the pulpit. I'm like, but I saw Jesus, who was a disability advocate, the way he mm-hmm. treated you know, the invalid handicap and... Mm, yep. So a lot of times I felt like I'm praying to God to... Sorry, but that's my mom's phone. That's okay. She'll get it.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, she got it. Um, But I remember going to the going to God saying, hey, saturday night like hey god can you put on the minister's heart to bring up what i've experienced and that didn't happen and i would feel like okay maybe it wasn't god didn't answer; it was the minister who they mm-hmm. would preach the easy amen message i'm like but i want to i want i want to feel included in god's will
1: mm-hmm. and here's the thing i want you to encourage you I say this all the time to people that's in ministry. You can pray and wait on the minister to do it. They may do it, they may not. But God has equipped you with that story. Find it in your own way to tell your own story to help other people. And it doesn't have to be preached on a Sunday. The fact that you are doing it on a podcast, people will listen. The fact that you could maybe go to your past and say, listen, this is what's on my heart. Can we do a small Bible study group about it? You'll be surprised who show up and want to talk about it. So it's finding your story in all of this because sometimes it's hard for like pastors and ministers to talk about experiences that they've never experienced before. It makes them very uncomfortable, just to be quite honest with you, especially heavy stuff like abuse, um, because it's such a hot topic and depending on how the words come out their mouth, if they don't say it a certain way, if they don't you know, read it a certain way. People will indict them, particularly because people that abuse thing is so like in your heart, it go it triggers people. Just to be honest, when you open up your mouth and start talking about abuse, people start thinking about their own abuse and it starts triggering. And oh, so the biggest yeah. thing about abuse is it's hard to explain. Well, first of all, we know it's wrong, but it's hard to explain in the Bible um, how to move forward and how to heal because everybody's like on their own journey. Some people just ignore it and put it apart in the back of their mind and don't ever, ever want to talk about it again. Like some people are like living in secrecy right now with their own abuse. Other people are out there front, want to talk about it, want to heal from it. And like, let's get to it. Let's work with it. Let's let's heal other people. And then you have other people like in between, right? And so it's like, if you have a congregation of a hundred people and you open up your mouth and start talking about abuse and the experiences, you can trigger a whole congregation. And so a pastor... If they open up that door, they have to be willing to have people to process all of that because they need they're going to need backup. That's what I'm saying, because that's going to that's going to put in people's mindset, their own experience, and it's going to take them to that place. Right. But I think it's very powerful that we need to have ministries in our church that deal with those things. We have a ministry for everything else. We got a singles ministry. We got a marriage ministry. We got the youth ministry, the women's ministry, but we don't have survivors ministry, people that have survived abuse, you know, and it's sad to me that we don't have enough of those. I'm not going to say we don't have them. I can't say that. I don't think we have enough of those ministries that deal with that because people are, like you said, suffering in silence. And I pray that we get to a place where we will continue to work on each other and issues. You know, um, instead of just telling the people in the congregation, God is there for you, which he is, how do we collaborate and work together? How do we help more people? There's so, there's millions of people that are suffering from abuse right now and they have no way out. That's why the suicide rate is up. That's why the people going to jail are higher rates because they repeat the same behavior that was done to them. And honestly, people will say, well, where's the church at? They say they love the people. Where's the church at? If I commit something in my life that's terrible, a lot of people not running to churches. Which is sad. They should run to the church to get help for rest, you know, to feel safe, to be restored, to for refugee, but they're not. And I think that says about a lot about us that we as a ministry, we got to start meeting people where they're at. Mm. We really do.
0: And I also see like the need for coalitions with other organizations that can help. Where mm-hmm. that's a great like, idea.
1: That's yeah. a great idea. That's excellent because we need support, and a lot of coalitions have it down pat. They know how to do it. They've been out there and and have a system put in place. So yeah, that's a great idea. We yeah. really do need to like collaborate more. I learned
0: something like in talking with fellow survivors, we came to the conclusion that there's this fear of if I preach on these kind of things we're talking about, will our offerings drop or our money mm-hmm. drop because people get angry? Or lose
1: membership, or yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's definitely on the table. I'm going to tell you, church is all about politics. They got, They need. They need the offerings to keep the building open. So I, I can't say that that's not off the table. Again, sometimes um, we in ministry have to be careful how we present things because we don't want to offend people, and we don't want people to leave the church. So hey, that definitely could be something. I, I hope we can get past that. You know, church should not be about the four walls. You know, we should be walking testimonies of the church. And sometimes we, as particularly with black churches have kept ourselves behind the four walls. But I would say in the last decade, for sure. I would say early on in, in the, the early days of slavery, civil rights, the churches were functioning a lot differently during that time. They were focused on, and I think because they had such a distinct mission, obviously segregation. We need to stop that. Churches went, it was job employment, voting. So the churches, they, worked so, they were more community-bound during that time. But in the last, I would say definitely last century churches, Black churches, there's tons of articles that will show you that will say, where's the Black church? What happened to the Black church? Mm-hmm. Black church is not the same church it was 12 or 20 years ago. Um, things have changed, and unfortunately, the Black church didn't change with it.
0: So and we that have of
1: these old mentalities that we're still keeping.
0: I think that I learned this new concept called betrayal blindness. Mm. It's when you know that you're being violated and, you know, taken advantage of. This is for people who know better not people who can't help what happened to them. But you're still have blinders on to what happened like your mom I think mm-hmm. has it you keep stealing from me you're feeding your drug habit but I'm gonna still let you over you're being mm-hmm. betrayed but those blinders on is just say I don't accept it but you know that you're being betrayed and then the yeah. trauma bonding it's like hey let's we're going to stick together in a false sense of harmony. <laughs> yeah, betrayal trauma.
1: That's betrayal trauma, that's a very good tone, uh, coined term because that's what it is. I mean, there's no other way. You're portraying your own, you're, you're portraying your own self, your own righteousness to do the right thing. And you don't want to do it because of all your trauma and issues. So, you know, I really appreciate that because that's that's nothing but truth right there.
0: Yeah, and then when you're I think we're kind of like a black church, I think the pro the sense of prosperity I never liked because I've never seen Jesus expouse prosperity. Quite the total opposite. He he tended to go, If you follow me, you might not have the materials of the world that you would yeah. like.
1: Yeah, that whole prosperity gossip is annoying. Um, (laughs) I don't know what else to say. I don't know if it's like a little carrot to get people to come, but I think being a Christian in this country, I can't speak to other countries because I have not experienced other countries, is one of the hardest things. There's so many things that bombard me every day not to do right, not not to treat people right, there's so many visions and images and people around your that could be in your circles that constantly bombard you with negativity and unrighteousness, that you have to consistently be on your knees praying for strength and hope. And it seems like the more you pray, you feel like, God, are you there? Are you listening? Because all the noise, there's so much noise in our world that we lose our focus sometimes. So this whole prosperity, like, all you got to do is pray. He's going to rain down this. And all you got to do is give this and this is going to happen. God is there and he never is going to leave us. That is my truth. But when you have your faith, you're going to go through a lot of challenges and struggles. Like I, I'm doing this women's series with um, women and my church called Women Standing in Faith. And mm-hmm. every Thursday we have a YouTube speaker that comes on and they share their their experience And the first talk we had was how do you trust in the Lord? How do you do that? And our second talk was about how do you trust in the Lord in the storm? Because Mm -hmm. everybody has a lot of storms that they're going through, right? It's not about like, you know, this whole idea of if you're in this, God is going to bless you. Yeah, he going to bless you. That's what the words say if you stick with it. But don't put people false mentality that this walk is easy. It is an extraordinary, difficult walk. It's, it's, it's extraordinary to continue to keep believing in God when you see all these negativity things in the world. You know, like, it's like, you know, you have people, ta- I have people tell me all the time, why believe? Why why would God let all these terrible things happen? If it's a real God, won't he just stop it? <laughs> why would he just, you know, let people die and let this virus happen, tear people up? Why would he allow abuse and da-da-da-da-da? Like, your God's not real. If he could, if he, you know, if you say he's so great and so mighty, why don't he just stop it? And I have to remind people, if you read the word of God, um, the way it started out in Genesis, (laughs) in the whole situation with Adam and Eve, at that point, this world became a free will. God does not want to control people. We have the free will to follow him. It's not a control relationship. So he can't control every aspect. Once that happened and Adam and Eve decided that they wanted to do what they did in the garden, that changed the direction of the Bible. And so, yeah, they were saved and protected. He told them not to touch that tree. They did it. And that opened up a whole different world. Okay. So at that point, we have a world in which God is saying that we can live in peace, but we also live in a world that is full of sin and negativity and destruction. And so, the only thing he can give us is the guidance of the word to help keep us on track. So, that whole like prosperity thing is it's overwhelming because some people will come into faith for that, but then they believe that the faith is not real because they were told that it was going to be easy, that he was just going to rain down blessings. And it's like, it's hard. And you got to fight for it and work for it and pray for it every day. <laughs>
0: Sometimes every 20 minutes. I'm really grateful to have you in my life because um, I wish I met more mature believers when I was younger.
1: Yeah.
0: I'm just glad I get to do it now because it's
1: never too late. And I've enjoyed my time talking to you because we have real talk about real issues that people want to talk about, but maybe they're afraid to talk about because they feel like they're going to be judged. You know, and it's like people are thinking the things that we're talking about, but no one's giving a platform of real conversation. Nobody wants to just keep having these like tiptoe conversation, like give it to me real, give it to me raw. We may agree, we may disagree, but at the same time, at least we're talking about it you know, and that's, that's, that's the reward in, in connecting with people and why you and I, our relationship is such a blessing is because even though we come from two different sides of the, of the world, of the, the you know, our lives were totally different. We have totally different skills, you know, different learning disabilities, parents, um, stories, we still can collaborate and talk about anything, right? So that means other people can do it too.
0: Right, right. And, you know, there were people who um, said, I'm your family, I mean, this and that, but they weren't around when I needed them. So at first I was thinking, I don't know if I want any uh, new family, it could have been so hurt, but when we clicked, I said, okay, my heart is open, because I know it won't be one of those fizzle out kind of deals. So yeah. I thank you for that.
1: You, thank you. It's been a pleasure talking with you today. I appreciate you having me on your podcast. I know we will do it soon again. Um, and I hope you have an amazing Saturday and everybody's listening. Please never give up hope. Whatever your educational experience, life experience is, just keep hoping and keep pushing and keep encouraging yourself to move forward.
0: Yeah. And before we go, I've been doing a Facebook Live every week discussing my story. With other believers too, so. Oh, great! It's
1: what is your Facebook Live page? Uh,
0: actually, it's just. this really, Oh, just on my Facebook with another person, and we. Okay. Do it like we're trying to do it every week. We did ours last night. Is at six fifteen, well their time, because they're from Iowa. And, oh, uh, fine.
1: Yeah. You're you connecting all over the place. you going to have to have a reunion after this, bring everybody together. <laughs> I love it. Well, you got a Michigan and Iowa, you got a Midwest going on. So, <laughs> thank you. I love it. Thanks again for having me on your show. I appreciate it.
0: No problem. All right. Um, When's the next time we can do this again, or it'll be a minute?
1: Yeah, you know what? I'll look at my schedule. and We'll uh, come up with a, a date to talk again. Maybe in the next couple of weeks will be great. I'm just trying to finish up some school stuff. They trying to get the babies to go back in school, which is fine. Um, but we just got so many things that we're trying to work on to get them there safely with the teachers. So
0: uh,
1: keep us in your prayers with these kids in school. Oh, my goodness. Do. All
0: right. Take care.
1: All right. Thank you.